So hello everyone, I am Neil Murphy and welcome to If Glasgow's Walls Could Talk, a podcast by Glasgow City Heritage Trust about the stories and relationships between historic buildings and people in Glasgow. The stories of our buildings and streets can be told in words and pictures, but perhaps nothing can bring those stories to life more powerfully than a moving image. There is something magical about people and places from the past appearing on our screens today. We can walk again through doors of buildings destroyed by fires or bulldozers, ride on buses and trams on streets that no longer exist, rediscover daily events and life-changing dramas from 50 or 100 years ago. Films connecting yesterday, today, and maybe tomorrow too. This is the stuff of the great collection of material in the National Library of Scotland's Moving Image Archive. It's an extraordinary treasure trove, offering fascinating insights into the social, cultural, economic and political history of Scotland. Home movies, documentaries, public information films, short clips, full-length feature films. There are 3,000 films available to view online, so it's hard to know where to start. And in a world increasingly dominated by small screen images, might me wonder when seeing is believing. Who funded these films, for instance, and what is their message? How can we tell the public record from propaganda? Fortunately, help is at hand. To answer, or at least explore some of these questions, we are delighted to welcome Dr. Emily Munro, a curator of films at the National Library of Scotland's Moving Image Archive. Emily's job requires an inquiring mind as she finds ways of bringing Scotland's rich screen heritage to audiences in the here and now. Emily is also a talented writer and filmmaker in her own right. Her film, Living Proof, A Climate Story, released before COP26 in 2021, used footage from the library's collection, which she selected with a keen and critical eye. The film, exploring roots of the climate crisis in Scotland's industrial and economic history, was widely seen and highly acclaimed. The Times called it an evocative documentary that asked difficult questions. For today's podcast, Emily has chosen an intriguing selection of films from the archive, and we're looking forward to some stimulating questions and answers. But let's start with a fairly simple one. So firstly, Emily, what is the Moving Image Archive? Can you give us a brief background to the history of the National Library's Moving Image Archive? Where is it? How did it come about? What does it contain? And who is it for? I certainly can, Neil. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Um, Well, the the Moving Image Archive is Scotland's national collection of moving images. And the archive itself began relatively late for a moving image archive in the 1970s, when Janet McBain was employed through a job creation scheme to identify a collection of films that were held at the Scottish Film Council offices. Um, And under Janet's stewardship, alongside the technical expertise of Alan Russell, the archive has grown over the years to a collection of around 20,000 films and videos about Scotland and its people. And as you've already said, these include professional films, amateur films, promotional films, propaganda, home videos, television artistic films, experimental films, almost anything you can imagine. Um, so Janet was the, was the curator in, for the archive from 1976 to uh, 2011. Wow. Okay. And within, I, I know, she did win a BAFTA for her service. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 
within that time, the the archive moved from the Film Council over to the National Library of Scotland. So in okay. 2007, we became part of that heritage context, National Heritage uh, Collection. And the archive itself, it is for absolutely anyone. Um, you know, we've got an expansive online catalogue which enables you to watch footage wherever you are in the world. And we are always collecting. So it's not a, a static collection. It's something that's ever-growing, which comes with its challenges, as you can imagine. I, I can. Uh, <laughs> yes. But it's it's a really exciting place to, to work and to learn. Great. Um, so tell me more about your role as the curator. You know, it's a fantastic resource, the archive, but how do you personally use it? And what responsibilities does a curator carry? How do you reach out to engage new audiences, say? You know, I feel like it's an immense privilege to work within an institution like the National Library of Scotland, but, but specifically in the Moving Image Archive, because I have my own personal time machine <laughs> that will take me to places that, that I would never have gone without it. Um, as a curator, I'm interested in stories and what the archive tells us about ourselves. You know, on the one hand, moving images is quite a specialist area of history, but I think most curators who work in film archives would see themselves as generalists. You need to have a wide range of interests and knowledge, um, historical knowledge, about society and about, about culture. And there's certainly certain... There's areas that I gravitate towards. There's some things that are my own pet projects, things that I have a specialist interest in. But there is so much material that, honestly, every day is a school day here. Um, and I'm never bored because there's always something new for me to, to look at or explore. And my role is, is partly about research. It's about understanding the material, the context in which it was made, but it's also about how I sort of communicate that to the public and, in, and also involve the public in interpreting the material as well. It's not really just for us as curators to interpret the material. Um, there's so much in there. We, we couldn't possibly be experts in everything that's here. So we really need the help of the public and, and from other researchers, historians, experts to tell us the stories that are within the films. And I really like the idea of the archive being something that that people go on a journey with. Um, and it's quite a personal journey. It's a bespoke journey because everyone's experience is different. So I think what's exciting about a moving image archive, particularly if it's so focused on a, on a nation as this, this one is, is that you can look for your own story within it and you can find things that speak to your experience and the experience of your ancestors. And that can be extremely powerful because I think we need continuity in our lives. We need to feel like there is yeah, some kind much. of thread. Yes, <laughs> um, yes. Particularly at times times when society can seem chaotic. Mm -hmm. um, so the Moving Image Archive, I think, provides a little bit of that comfort. Um, but at the same time, as a curator, I'm I'm always looking at things with a critical eye. So I 
I am also quite interested in pulling apart films <laughs> mm-hmm. and really kind of questioning the motivations behind their production. Indeed, that is, that is fascinating. When, when you look at the selection that you have put together for today, and I'm very interested in how you put that selection together, there's things within that that are quite fascinating. You do wonder how much of this is propaganda in places. Um, what is it they're trying to pitch? And on the other hand, you're acutely conscious there's a whole film in there about um, you know, the, the development of council housing in Glasgow and how Glasgow is very pioneering about it. And you look at that back you know, through a lens where we're going through a housing crisis at the moment. And it, it's, it's so optimistic. And you're thinking, if only you had some of that optimism now and foresight now. That's that's absolutely true, and I would say that within the archive, although we we do continue to collect, most of our material is from the middle of the 20th century, and that was an incredibly optimistic period, so the films definitely reflect that. True, absolutely. Uh, Does it, you know, then give you a kind of sense of loss about, you know, what has disappeared in in that selection? It is fascinating. particularly when you look at Glasgow now, there was um, one with, with Bill Forsyth running through Glasgow streets, and I'm kind of looking in the background as he goes along going, oh, there's a, a John Burnett senior building, which probably says something about me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's fascinating to kind of walk along those old Glasgow streets. And it's, from that point of view, it's a really invaluable source of social history and condense all of these kind of you know, really revealing details. Um, such as you know the, the footage you supplied on the, the great Glasgow fires and the blaze at the old Kelvin Hall, um, or the, the, the film of the Glasgow School of Art, which was fascinating because that was 1950s, but yet when I was at the Glasgow School of Art in the 1990s, it really hadn't changed. Absolutely. And I think one of the interesting things about an archive is that you get to see those moments of continuity through time, um, and and buildings provide that, don't they? Sometimes, mm, well, sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes they, that there's a rupture that changes things. Um, I mean, if we if we think about the the fire, I, I, you know, Glasgow's no stranger to fires, unfortunately. Yeah, sadly. <laughs> um, but footage of fires is is relatively unusual, actually, um, and the film that I I shared with you from 1925 was an example of a of a fire where actually something better came out of it. In, I think indeed, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> um, it's a much better you know, building now. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the the Phoenix rose from the ashes and then some. Um I think it's but it's a really interesting social document as well because it was a film that was made by Green's Film Service. Mm-hmm. Now, Green's were a family hugely, of show people. Hugely important. Absolutely. A, a, you know, a family of show people who, who sort of began exhibiting films and then saw a commercial opportunity to sell films to other exhibitors mm-hmm. and created their own production company. Um, and this wasn't unusual at that time. F- cinema exhibitors would would produce films, local films, um, and and quite often it was um, they were looking they were out there looking for news, and 
On this day in July 1925, the big news was this fire at Kelvin Hall. And you can see it's big news because there are literally hundreds of people gathered. Uh, absolutely. It's to quite watch something. that fire. Yeah, you know, you're seeing that smoke blow across um, um, what is it, Dumbarton Road by that point towards the Kelvin Grove. And there are hundreds of people there and you're thinking, you're possibly a wee bit too close to that fire. You might want to get away. Not, not only that, Neil, because you can see they're, they're sort of set on the other side of the road and they're all on the embankments mm -hmm. up leading up to Kelvin Grove. But not only that, but you can see hordes of schoolboys running towards yes. the area, yeah. desperate to see it. <laughs> and you have civilians who are helping the firefighters. Yes. Yeah. So you actually have ordinary people, including boys, straightening out the hoses mm. for the firefighters. Mm -hmm. It's quite extraordinary. It really. is, yeah. When you look at their equipment, you're thinking, there's no way they're going to cope with this far. No, it's and they, pretty, and they it's didn't. It's pretty, pretty primitive. <laughs> it's fascinating. And they didn't. Um, but it is really interesting because, not, you know, it's not, it's not all that long ago, 100 years ago. No. Um, and, and, and now I'm, I'm actually sitting in the new Kelvin Hall today. Indeed, so I'm you speaking are. To yes. you from, from yes. Kelvin Hall. Yeah, which is a, a fantastic building. It is indeed. And I mean, if I could go back to what you were saying about Glasgow School of Art, because mm -hmm. we have quite a lot of footage of, of the Macintosh building. And, um, you know, it's it's so poignant now that we ha that, that footage really still exists. Yes. Um, to see, I think so, it, it provides something different from a photograph to see people actually using the building. And, and that film from the 50s, which was made by Eddie McConnell, who was a, a, a great Scottish filmmaker, documentary maker, very expressive, and made when he was a student at the School of Art. And he ran a film club there. Um, and I think what's really lovely about it is you do get a sense of the Mac as a working building and you get an idea of what the student experience was like but there's also some really beautiful details, like you, there's footage of a cleaner washing the steps. Yes, that, that, yeah, that's a, a lovely touch. That, that was what I meant, but nothing had changed. Ironically, I headed up the film club at the Mac for a year. In my dim and distant past, there you go. That is fantastic. <laughs> you know what? What's interesting, you know, we're talking about these resonances through, through time. And... Um, Another famous filmmaker, Norman McLaren, also attended the Glasgow School of Art and made a documentary called Seven Till Five in 1934. And that was similar to the Ed Eddie McConnell's film. You know, it was about, about the student experience. Yes. Um, but Eddie McConnell claims he never saw that film or certainly hadn't seen that film at that time. Uh, but I think students feel such a sense of affinity with the building while they're there and mm -hmm. you know almost like the, the building becomes its own personality it's a, it's a friend and and there's a certain um sense in which there's people have felt a need to 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 document not just the the place, but also what it might have felt like to have been in inhabiting that place. And McConnell later shot Murray Grigger's film about Macintosh. Right. Um, alongside Oscar Marzaroli, the, right. the great, great uh, Glasgow documentarian. Yes. Yes. And um, there's all sorts of interesting artistic collaborations within the archive. But I think McConnell and, and Marzaroli... Um, 
they're they're ones that are it's always worth looking at material where they collaborate one of the films that I absolutely love which is quite a weird it's a surrealist experimental drama called Faces uh, made made just a couple of years after that Glasgow School of Art film in 1959 and um, it was made by Eddie McConnell but Marzaroli worked on the production and it has uh, characters wearing masks that were designed by Alistair Gray wow. and it's a really really special and unusual film um, but I, so I, I love all these you know the the, the little uh, cliques I guess they're kind of cliques you know filmmaking cliques but it's really interesting <laughs> to see how how people you know dot about productions and you mentioned Bill Forsyth Bill Forsyth was in there as well and so anyway that I digress but I think you know those there's definitely a link between a lot of the filmmakers that we we have work you know in the archive that represent their their careers and appreciation for art and architecture and the city of Glasgow in particular and also a sense particularly in that mid mid 20th century period of just trying to get to grips with the rapid change that's going on and sort of holding on to some things um, and and trying to learn how to let go of other things. Yeah, there's a, there's a one really fascinating film that you included, <clears throat> which um, tells the story of kind of Glasgow Corporation. This is just directly post Second World War. Um, tells the story of kind of Glasgow's corporation and what they did and all the various facets to Glasgow Corporation. There's some really good hidden gems within that. You know, it shows uh, the Copelow Hill Tram Depot, which is now Tramway, Pinkston Power Station, which is amazing. So... <clears throat> Can I say something about that film? Because, honestly, that that footage was really startling for me when I saw it. I, it's, it's actually quite a... It's the kind of film that people wouldn't necessarily look for in the archive because it's an educational film. Mm-hmm. And you might have noticed that, uh, quite a few of the films that I've... <laughs> suggested that we talk about our educational films because I absolutely love them Mm -hmm. um but this one was made by the corporation as part of a series of civic films so it was made in 1949 and and I think you know there was quite a progressive viewpoint um in terms of the importance of of civic values and citizenship coming out of the war very very much there really was it really comes across in that film and, you know, using film as the main teaching material is a really, really modern thing to be doing. Very, and very much. So, so you'll notice the film is silent. Yes, yeah, but it involves but, the wee boy in it. Kind yes, of there's, like a char- there's the characters. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, the character comes across. Exactly. So the wee, the wee boy or, a, or wee boys appear in, in a number of these civic series films. There was a school textbook that went along with it as well an illustrated textbook and the idea is that the film would be shown in the classroom and the teacher would narrate it in some way uh, so there would be teaching materials that would go along with it so with this film it's about transport in Glasgow mm-hmm. it's called our transport services and so you see various forms of public transport and you see the coal-fired power station that was generating power for the trams and the underground mm-hmm. um, and before before the big cooling tower was built, um, and what's so lovely about it is that the the building was camouflaged during the war, 
So it was painted in camouflage paint. And it's really camp. <laughs> it is. It's quite. It's quite something. I'd like. It's a shame it's in black and white because I'd love to have seen the colours of that and what they actually did. Because it's quite. You look at that and you think, "Wow, there's pop art for you." And it's like all the things that come after. You know, Pink Pink Floyd um, uh, using Battersea Power Station and all that. You can see where that comes from and kind of the whole um, language or the visual language of the Beatles. And the various albums, it all comes from that. <laughs> you can see what that is. Absolutely. It's it's so fascinating. And um, I, yeah, I love that film. And like you say, the, the footage from the tramway, seeing the trams mm. being built or mm. repaired and cleaned. Yes, um, they're and incredibly modern, the trams. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's really interesting to see them. They were pretty slick. Yeah, absolutely. And And I suppose there's a sense in which I don't know, I watch it and I, I do feel a sense of, of loss. You know, obviously this wasn't a period that I lived through, but you do get a strong feeling of of the civic pride mm -hmm. and of that kind of effort in society to kind of move towards what progress looked like at that time. Yes. And um, yeah, I, I just think it's a really special little film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, for me, um, I was lucky because I was brought up in Hong Kong and ironically Hong Kong I think got some of Glasgow's trams because Hong Kong still has trams and so it's just on the island there's a big long line of trams and it's kind of has a, has a loop either end that allows you to go backwards and forwards and then it loops around Happy Valley as well but the trams were you know they were really fantastic and so when I see um, images of Glasgow in the 1950s with all these trams. I actually think it's pretty progressive. <laughs> At what point did you get rid of them? They work so well in a compact, you know, small city. It's a great way of getting people who wouldn't be able to afford a car about. Absolutely. And I think, you know, 1949, we're just at the cusp of that time where the motor cars are... <laughs> It's about to have its moment, big style. Um, but pub at that point, 1949, you know, public transport was still, yes. you know, the way to get people around. Yes. And yeah. so you, you get a sense of kind of investment in that. Yes. Yeah. And it is ironic, um, uh, particularly it's kind of where the next question is going to go when we're talking about demolition and dislocation. Um, it's ironic when you see other films like the Battle of the Styles film, which kind of made me laugh, this architectural film on the, the development of styles and architecture, which is a great wee film. And then at one point it goes, and here we are at St. Huno Station. It's got this kind of terribly 1950s kind of voiceover. Here we are at St. Huno Station. This is the finest of Scotland stations. And then you're thinking, uh-oh, a decade later, <laughs> it's toast. It's been bulldozed. And you're like, what are you thinking? And there's a separate film on, on St. Ernest and you're thinking what a fantastic facility why would you want to get rid of it completely bizarre and yet it's part of that kind of white heat of technology and we need to move on from all of this kind of thing it's such a shame yeah absolutely and and you know that that period we're getting into that period now of that redevelopment and you think about how um how devastating in a lot of ways that was and, and the dislocation that that created. Um, you mentioned the film with Bill Forsyth and, and it's a film, it's a, it's a, it's a drama about, about a young artist who, who goes into the city of Glasgow as it's being demolished mm. and is really trying to get to grips with what is this 
place. Absolutely. You get a, it's a dystopian film. Yeah, very, so very the, much. Uh-huh. It, it made me think of, of Lanark, um, Alistair Gray's Lanark. It's like this is Lanark on film. <laughs> um, you know, and I'm I'm sure there's I'm sure there's definite connections there, there with, with Alistair Gray's work, and I I think you know you get you f- see this artist in his studio and he's 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 painting these classical motifs, mm-hmm. <laughs> Corinthian columns and things, and then he wanders out into the city where all of that kind of classical architecture is being destroyed mm. and is, he's just surrounded by plumes of smoke, mm-hmm. <laughs> pollution, you know, mm-hmm. dust. Um, and, you know, those young, those young artists at that time, you do, you do get a feeling, gosh, you know, it wasn't, not everyone was like, okay, great, we're moving forward, this is progress. There was some real sort of like devastation going on. Um, and it must have, it must have, people must have felt quite powerless actually, you know, at that point, um, really just to have to accept what was happening. And a lot of the films that we have about that time period, which are films made by by the corporation, they're really about justifying the decisions that were Happening. Yeah, very, very much. The one St. Mungo's medals, um, talking about the, the various awards that the corporation was getting for its social housing work. And some of the buildings are very good that get produced out of that. But it's there's this looking back at it now with kind of jade, jaded Generation X eyes. And you're kind of thinking, particularly when they're getting to the outskirts of the city and these kind of garden cities that they're developing there. And we know all of the flaws with that now, the kind of um, great um, Billy Connolly phrase, deserts with the windows. And you're looking at it and you're thinking, the incredible irony that they thought they were doing absolutely the right thing, getting people out into the air and the greenery. And yet it wasn't enough. It didn't work. Yeah. And I think Glasgow really has suffered from a slightly myopic viewpoint where the housing is seen as the the cause of social ills rather than the symptom of what's going on in in society so rather than sort of thinking about about inequality and um and and lack of opportunity um we're sort of looking at houses and saying oh this is this house is falling down so we need to provide people with somewhere nice to live and then everything will be fine and of course we know that that's not the case um of course everyone deserves to live in a you know in a, in a nice environment but it doesn't it doesn't take away the social problems um and yeah it, it is interesting you know we've got so many films that show the demolition of glasgow some extraordinary things uh one, one of the demolition of the grand hotel and charing mm-hmm, cross mm-hmm. yeah which and is some, can, something else yeah you can see men standing on the half ruined <laughs> building at the very top just kind of chipping away yes yeah um, it's extraordinary lack, it of, is lack extraordinary. of health and safety <laughs> uh, yeah i mean it's like something from another an, another i mean it is from another century but another century before that yes you know and and you also get these um, quite painterly images uh, 
almost like a grand civilization in decline, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which I think are really poignant. But there, there's a film, you know, with the corporation films, they're obviously going to take a particular viewpoint. And for a, for a critical view, we need to look elsewhere. So we need to look at things like the KH04 film with Bill Forsyth. Um, or there's a film called The Planner's Approach from 1968, which was made um, within Jordan Hill College of Education. Mm-hmm. And in that film, I think... A student probably was interviewing uh, the chair of the New Glasgow Society at that time, who was Mr. Jarvis, an architect. Yes, Jeff- Jeffrey Jarvis. I knew Jeffrey. So he was on the Glasgow Urban Design Panel, or as it was called before it became the Urban Design Panel, the um, amenity panel in the council. And he was a really interesting guy. He looked like Abraham Lincoln. Um, he was he was he was a fascinating guy, and when when you hear about the kind of the launch of the New Glasgow Society, and they put an advert in the paper, it's like anyone's interested in going for a walk around the city centre and kind of discussing some of the things happening in Glasgow. And I think five hundred people turned up. <laughs> there I was mean, such demand amazing. for it, <laughs> and a really so you it's quite a you, you get this idea of a divided city because you you do have people at that time who are really starting to advocate strongly for the retention of some important buildings, Victorian architecture. Um, And on the other hand, there's this kind of understanding that there needs to be change and there needs to be... Things need to shift somehow. Um, And when Mr Jarvis is, is interviewed, he has really quite, like quite well-formed ideas about about the riverfront. So the the riverfront of the, the Clyde, that it should be picture postcard. Mm-hmm, uh, you mm-hmm. know, he's, I think he says it should be the equivalent of, you know, what Edinburgh Castle is for Edinburgh, the riverfront should be for Glasgow. Which so is that's very, a vision. very un- unusual view for the time when you consider how industrialised the, the, the river had been. Well, absolutely. And and it came later. You know, of course, that, that sort of focus on riverfronts came, what, 20 years or even more later. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also had plans to redevelop the St Enoch station site, mm-hmm. um, which included a concert hall. Right. Um, an international hotel. And perhaps, and this is the one that always makes me laugh, the the new Strathclyde region headquarters could be there uh, with the whole area pedestrianised. Right. Fascinating. Um, yeah, it is fascinating. <laughs> and, and I guess we did get some kind of pedestrianisation yes. in, yes, in the did. form of yep. the shopping centre. Yes, yep. Um, which unfortunately turns its back on that kind of... It's the thing that kind of blocks the city centre actually getting to the river, ironically. And in some ways, St. Enos Station actually handled all of those things better than the current um, shopping centre does, which is one of these yeah. ironies. Yeah, what he was reacting to was there was this plan to um, basically deck over the river at that point and put a bus station on top of it, and which com- seems completely mad. And yet this did happen. It was, um, that was a very American vision and happened in places like Providence and Rhode Island, and they've later undone that. But it, it did happen in various places. And like, thank God we avoided that in Glasgow. But it's funny because we're still dealing with all of those issues now. And one of his great proposals, which sadly did not go anywhere, was to get the Royal Yacht Britannia back to Glasgow 
and um, tuck it into the graving docks in Govan and use that as a kind of huge visitor attraction and basically retain the um, Glasgow Garden Festival as kind of Tivoli Gardens for Glasgow, which would have been such a fantastic, would have given an amazing kind of regenerative boost to that part of the city. And yet it was in these kind of the, the Thatcherite era when, um, because that was reliant on the public purse to make it work, it was rejected in favor of a private scheme to put it in Leith. And you're like, ah, but it came from Glasgow originally. It should be back in Glasgow. And a real that would have lost been opportunity. What a lost opportunity. And you we're still talking about, there's still buildings that we've lost recently along the riverfront, mm. which, which, you know, it's a, it's a real shame. And we're still making the same arguments <laughs> yes. yeah. about retaining some of the architectural heritage that we have. Yes, we um, are, very, very much are. Yeah, it's, it's an interest. That, that, that whole film, The Battle of the Styles, is, is, is very enjoyable. I was going to mention, actually, about that film, because the, the, the film shows this kind of tension between the Gothic styles and the classical revival in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if it's the best... It's not the best film that we have on architecture in Scotland. Um, I think maybe Murray Gregor's film for the Scottish Civic Trust, um, Raised from Stone, is a, is a really, really yes. special one. Uh, but I, I like The Battle of the Styles, again, because it's an educational film. Uh, so it's interesting to imagine school pupils being taught about architecture. And the education advisor for the film was someone called Louise Anand, who also made films and, and worked for Glasgow Museums for, for many years um, and was really interested in architecture um, and, and heritage within the city. She made a lovely film about the history of lighting and, and one very atmospheric film about Monkland Canal in the 1960s, which was filled in, <laughs> um, was concreted over. Um, so, you know, I, I wanted to bring that in because I think sometimes um, there's a, an inclination to look at the, the films that are the, the big films, the big commercial films or the, the promotional films because they're pro- professionally produced and, and they look very beautiful. But but actually, uh, someone like Louise Anand contributed a lot in terms of documenting parts of the city and its art and its architecture and communicating that to a different audience, which was an, an audience of, of young people. Yes. So I think there's there's a lot to be said for, for those kind of educational films and and how they they speak to to younger people about what's happened in the past and the changes that were happening at that time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I thought it was a really interesting film because she captures um, Kirkland's Warehouse on Miller Street, which is one of Glasgow's great lost buildings. And it's a fantastic um, story that um, uh, David Walker tells about this and how you know he tried to persuade the planning committee not to let the building's owners demolish it. And he won his case and he managed to get the Scottish office. It was the first time the Scottish office had put money into a Victorian building because, and this is one of the reasons why Edinburgh's better preserved than Glasgow is because they would they would only put money into something that predated Victoria's reign. And so it was the first time they were gonna put money into something post the start of Victoria's reign. And the owner of the building was so incensed by this and the fact that you know one had been pulled over on him 
um, that he, he blocked up every sink in the building and turned on the taps and flooded it so badly that the damage done outweighed the value of the kind of the grant that they were going to get from the Scottish office. And so the planning committee reversed their decision and decided on demolition. But when you see that film and it talks about what a fabulous building this is and the sculpture on the building and how this is just for a warehouse, but look at the beauty of the sculpture on it and that this is actually taken from Sansovino's library in Venice. And you're looking at it with its courtyard in front, which this guy hated because he said that the, the vans and the drivers um, using the vans, it was kind of too posh for them and they kept on bumping into the corners and smashing the, their vans off the corners and he hated it for that reason. And you think, what a snob. <laughs> And so Glasgow lost something that was really amazing. And we've ended up with kind of, um, I think it's the back of CNA it ended up being. And it's just this kind of most awful. It's directly opposite where the um, tobacco merchant's house is. And you're thinking, what, what a lost opportunity. It would make the most fantastic little courtyard space. Really, really so stunning sad. building. Yeah, and we've lost a lot of those those spaces. and Or it's the privatisation of those spaces as well that is is problematic. And in yes. a way, the battle of the styles is kind of, it's almost like a battle of values, you know, mm. it's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, aestheticism versus um, functionalism or, or something like that. I, I don't know, but it's, um, we seem to be having the, having the same, the same battles yeah, very, very, very <laughs> over much. and over again. Yes. Okay. The other film that I, I, I enjoyed too, which I've seen before is the Leary the Lamplighter one, which is 1956. So an astonishing to think that somebody was still doing that in 1956, but it makes you realize just how much in need of modernization Glasgow was by that point, because you know the infrastructure just hadn't been invested in. But it's, it's so evocative at the same time of what the, the city was once like. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a, it's a Robert Louis Stevenson poem that's been adapted. So yes. it's, it's already nostalgic for that reason. But um, yeah, I think, you know, not not long after we have a film that shows the the scrapping of, of the gas lamps, um, the removal and the, the scrapping of the gas lamps. Um, and so they were disappearing at the same time. That, and maybe that was why the film was made was to to kind of evoke that those childhood memories I suppose for for the person who made the it. The irony is it's actually incredibly contemporary because there is a battle going on in Kensington and London at the moment to save its gas lamps um, because I think its council wants to replace them with LED lighting instead and people are really offended by this because it's still the original there's only a handful of them and it's like come on and you know you could just you could save them because they are still evocative of that period but it's weird to think that survived into the 2020s uh, you know it is it is really weird but it's it's a lovely thing that they have and when you see that film about the scrapping of the gas lamps you see mm. some beautiful ironwork being mm -hmm, just chucked mm -hmm. out um, and I mean, I, I, I grew up in Edinburgh in the 1980s and I remember they, <laughs> the, the, the sort of concrete um, streetlights were being removed and being replaced with, you know, sort of, they were sort of evocative of Georgian, but more kind of Victorian looking lamps, you know, things sure. that were seen to be more, uh, more in keeping uh, with with the conservation areas and you know it's just it's just incredible that that we're still having kind of discussions about about 
you know, scrapping things like that. It's it's lovely that we still have some lamps in Glasgow, um, the Provost lamps and things like that, that yes. we can still look back on those. Um, and actually, I don't mind that they don't work. <laughs> um, they're just be- be- beautiful I, objects. They're just beautiful to look at, absolutely, and, and kind of unexpected and... Yes. Yeah, there's the the beautiful Alexander Greek Thompson one on Queen's Drive, which is which is I wrecked sadly, but I love walking past it. It's Me it's too. so evocative. There's another one kind of buried in a hedge in Strathbungo too. Um, so at least at least they have somehow clung on. And it's funny because you can see on the Ordnance Survey map where the others were, and it's just these kind of last fragmentary survivors, but they're really beautiful artifacts. That's it. And I mean, my, my dad talks about um, sort of visiting his grandmother in Shawlands and the gla- gas lamps flickering. And he says that as a child, he was terrified of being sent out, you know, go, John, go, and go to the fish and chip shop. <laughs> and he was terrified <laughs> because it was so spooky being in, in those dark closes with the flickering gas lamps. Right. Um, it's something that I can't, you know, I can't imagine what that mm. must have been like. But um, but th- there are people who still remember that. Mm-hmm. That would be incredibly evocative, wouldn't it? And yeah, quite quite terrifying at the same time. Fascinating stuff. Um, another strand in these films is all about how people in Glasgow got to work and the kind of this kind of fascinating integrated traffic and transport network that we had, trams, trains, buses and ferries, and how it all kind of meshed together. Um, so I thought that was really interesting too. And, and other footage too, which kind of I thought was amusing when they were talking about how awful the gobbles were. And yes, when you, when you look at it, you know, children playing in bin stores, not a good thing. But when you look at the streets, I'm looking at them nowadays and thinking, oh, look, there's a low traffic neighborhood. And it's like, you know, it's 15 to 20 minute neighborhood as well, because everything's in the street. Everybody's playing in the street. People are really congregating in the street and the traffic is so much lower than it is nowadays. And it's really interesting to see how that as a kind of active city that you could walk around or take the tram around. And if you really needed to jump on a train to somewhere more remote actually functioned. And the lessons that we can learn from that nowadays, when obviously we're thinking about carbon footprints and, you know, obviously COP26 happening in Glasgow and what's just happened with Egypt as well, COP27, um, how we basically have to shift back towards that idea of a city. I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it, that we've gone through this cycle of, um, you know, feeling like the city is overpopulated and, and that we need to push people to the margins. And then now we're like, oh, actually, we need people living in our city centre. <laughs> Yes. Because otherwise it's barren. So yes, yes. Po- let's post, bring people Post-COVID back. in particular, yes. Exactly that. Um, so yes, these cycles that go on. And, um, you know, in some ways I think, you know, actually the new towns were more successful than the, you know, the, the city development areas because yes, at were. least there was, yeah. there was an, an idea of, of what was required to make a functioning community. Um, you know, that people needed to be able to get around, that the car was going to be important because it was at that time um, and people needed to get to work. But actually, there needed to be spaces for pedestrians as well. Um, and and there was less of that sort of dense, less density, you know, that high rise thing. Cities in the sky, there was yes. less of that. 
And I'm, it a, was I'm much... a child of the tower block. Yeah, well, some of those schemes were, you know, relatively successful and actually well-loved, but others, of course, were not. Um, I'm thinking about the Gorbals and the Hutchinson Town uh, blocky, which yes. I think yeah. survived only a few a few years and then was demolished because yeah, of absolutely. dam. Yeah, absolutely. Com- comprehensive disaster. It was mm-hmm. a it was a, a construction system that came from the south of France and it just was totally unsuited to Glasgow's climate. And ironically, when you look at it nowadays, it's got these fantastic super graphics on it. You're thinking, wow, that looks really cool, but it just didn't work. You know, it was never going never going to work in our climate. Yeah, it, 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 you're right, absolutely. There, you know, you pre- appreciate the as- aesthetic, yes. <laughs> but actually, the, you know, to, to, to just take something from the south of France and put it in the west of Scotland, then, I, I mean, now, gosh, you, you know, we've, we've got real challenges in our hands with the amount of rainfall um, for, for new buildings as, as well as for the old buildings. And... Um, you know, that's something we're going to have to grapple with for years to come. Very, very much. It's something that we look at with, um, when we're looking at tenements, we ask people to check the size of the rainwater goods so that they're actually, you know, they can cope with that increased capacity. And that's having been involved in other, in other schemes where nobody has checked and then suddenly you're getting water ingress in a newly conserved building. You're thinking, ah, this is exasperating. It's kind of, you know, some, somebody should have checked those kind of things. And how we then work with that. I mean, that's part of the thinking behind the Avenues project in the city centre. That's the main motivation for it. It's not actually that it makes those streets look prettier. That's a handy side effect of it. It's tackling the drainage problems in Glasgow um, because of stormwater runoff and it's, you know, it's, it's slowing all that down and making it more manageable and thereby releasing sites which can't be developed at the moment because the system has been at capacity um it's about building a capacity so those sites can be properly developed and brought back into the city once more um some of the films that i love like absolutely love with all of my heart are the new town films because of that sort of utopian imagining (laughs) of what society could look like and there's one film in particular about cumbernauld and in part of that film there's a there's a there's a wee boy on roller skates and the the camera kind of follows him going through um the neighborhoods on his roller skates just kind of just flying down hills with ease going through underpasses and things like that and sometimes I look at that and I think wow you know when when I'm able to go around Glasgow on my roller skates I'll know that we've cracked active travel. <laughs> Abs- absolutely. That would actually be... I, I, I used to do a lot of roller skating as a teenager. I don't do it anymore. And it's one of these things you kind of think, oh, that would be quite fun to revisit it and actually do it in the streets rather than on a roller rink somewhere. But if you could do that and you could enjoy it without worrying that you're going to be mowed down by a car in the next five minutes, yeah, that would be a real sign that things had moved on and progressed, that streets are for everybody. And, yeah. you know, not just for one, one class of person who happens to have access to a car. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much. Okay, what next then for the Moving Image Archive? You know, we're kind of we're living in an era where everyone has a smartphone. We can all be filmmakers. Tell us about your kind of plans for, you know, where you're kind of going to go in terms of outreach 
and engaging with um, citizen filmmakers. You know, I presume you're really enthused about this, so tell us all about it. Uh, no, absolutely. You know, we, we never stop collecting, and those smartphone films are going to become part of the archive. Not all of yes, them. Yeah. <laughs> Not all of them, um, but some of them will be. And, um, you know, I think it's more important than ever that we take a critical look at our past, as, as well as how how our media is produced. So that there's a role for film archives to play there, you know, in thinking about both of those things. Um, I mean, I want to see people enjoying history and to have the same privilege that I do to step into the time machine and, mm. and observe lives past, mm -hmm. uh, see old streets and buildings that have disappeared, fashions that have all but vanished. Um, and to that end, I think what what we want to do is to to keep having conversations with people mm -hmm. about the collections in all sorts of different ways. Um, and sometimes that might involve uh, a sort of co-curation exercise where we're working with the community to, to pull out the things that really matter to them. In other cases, it might be actually working with the community that we haven't worked with before and who are underrepresented within the collections. Sure. Too. Because, you know, while it's easy for me to say, oh, well, the archive's for everyone, not everyone is well represented within the collection sure, at present. Sure, I com completely appreciate that. Yeah, so we, we, we really have a, have a bit of work to do on that front. Um, I mean, we hold regular events at Kelvin Hall and they're free, so please come along to, to some of our events to find out about the collections and talk about the collections. Next year, we're going to be doing a special focus on the history of broadcasting, which is going to be a lot of fun. Right. Um, I've been doing some research into community television production in the mm -hmm. 70s, the mm -hmm. first community television experiments, one of which took place in Leith in Edinburgh in a high-rise okay. that no longer exists. exists. Fascinating. Um, and an another one that, that took place in Vale of Leven, which mm -hmm. was part of the quality of life experiments set up by the government at that okay. time, which was a big cultural experiment um, in in certain deprived areas of the United Kingdom. So mm -hmm. it's a really interesting story that. Um, so there's there's lots of possibilities. I've got definitely got plans for things that I'd like to explore myself. I I'm really interested in whether we can use the archive to envisage a future. So can we look back <laughs> and look at how people were imagining futures then and what can we learn from that that we can bring forward into the future I'm quite interested in that um, and doing some work around that and I always say to people I'd love to do a project on the M8 <laughs> <laughs> and I say this all the time to people and some people roll their eyes but actually maybe this is the moment for that um, I would love to do a project looking at the the M8 and the, the communities that are sighted along the M8 and the footage that we've got about about that story, um, I think it's a, you know, it's a really really kind of interesting um, focal point for lots of different reasons. It, it is. It's very fascinating. We we talked to the Scottish Motorway Archives last year um, about that, and that actually, and having been to some of their talks as well completely changed my perception of the motorway. I mean, I'm still not a fan of it, but it was the whole thinking about how it was designed as this kind of scenographic 
trip through the city and how they were lining up vistas on it. And they, they really thought through it in this kind of very kind of as though it was a film. It was what you were seeing at speed as you drove through the city and how they lined up things like the Park Circus Towers, how you went over the Clyde. All of it was actually quite carefully thought through. I mean, still, it was pretty damaging to the city, but it was, you know, it was fascinating. And there was a recognition that you had to accommodate the car somehow. And that was the thinking of the day. Yeah, absolutely. We've got films that, that completely reflect that point of view. In in my film, Living Proof, I, <laughs> I took the opportunity to do a, a montage sequence, um, which starts with the Kingston Bridge and and really kind of tears apart uh, a promotional film that was celebrating the opening of the Kingston Bridge. Right. Um, and inter, interweaves uh, pictures, footage of, of the demolition of the city at the same time. And mm-hmm. um, there's this very pompous music that, that was in the, the original footage. Um, and it was, it was great fun to play with and extremely cathartic, I have to say. <laughs> um, being able to kind of, to to tell those two two viewpoints in in, in one short yeah, sequence intertwine them yeah it's a great kind of yeah. un, unwinding of the city at the same same time that there's this kind of new vision of the city overlaid on top of it it's one of the things I really enjoy about Glasgow is it is it's not like Edinburgh where you got you know one city and then another city built next door to it in Glasgow it was super in position and kind of layering up of different cities so you can kind of appreciate it's kind of how two two very different visions of the city end up getting butt spliced together actually is quite enjoyable i agree neil actually i really do and you know i think what i admire about glasgow is seeing the beauty in the everyday and that unexpectedness and mm. in a way it's a bit like the films in the archive because you're getting these glimpses and it can be a bit frustrating <laughs> at times because it's always a partial viewpoint and you know mm-hmm. films that's that's exactly what it is it's always a partial viewpoint you know you you never get to linger long enough it isn't like a, a still photograph where you can really gaze upon something yes. yeah. um and and Glasgow as a city is a bit like that. It's full of full of these wonderful, extraordinary, beautiful things, but you know, up against some really ugly, brutal things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's it's surprising and it's frustrating, but that's part of the appeal of the city, I suppose. Very, very much. I suppose it's like um, makes me think of Christopher Isherwood when he talks about himself as I am as I am a camera when he's documenting Berlin. And that's how he sees himself as this kind of narrator. It's, it's a gl- the glimpses of the city and then how it all stitches together to tell the story of the city at a point in time. So and that's what's really fascinating about your archive is you've got all of these different kind of visions of you know, what the city was like in particular moments. And it's you know, seeing all that together in one place is fascinating. Okay, well, in conclusion then, this is the question we ask everybody and it's completely loaded. So lovely to hear this one from you. Um, what is your favourite building in Glasgow, whether on film or not? And what would it tell you if its walls could talk? Neil, this kept me awake Uh-oh. last night. Okay, <laughs> there's so many possibilities. The more I thought about it, the more confused I became. Um, and and uh, maybe it's just me, I don't know. But it's it's like... It's like if someone asks me, as they often do, what's your favourite film in the archive? And I'm like, what? I was like, well, for a start, I haven't seen all the films in the archive. Um, 
But also, are you talking about my favourite film this week? My yeah, favourite yeah. film today? This, this, is, this is me <laughs> to a T. I can't make my mind up because I'm like, oh, but I really like that one. And then, oh no, I, I, that meant I couldn't choose this one. And yeah. No, to- totally. Um, so today, <laughs> um, I, you know, I love the ambition of some of the commercial buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, in Glasgow and especially the Victorian obsession with light and glass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to choose Gardner's Warehouse. Okay. On Jamaica Street. Good choice. Yeah, it was built in, in 1855 to 56 by John Baird mm-hmm. and is really unusual in that it's got a cast iron structure mm-hmm. um, inspired by London's Crystal Palace. That's right. Um, so... Yeah, I, you know, I think it's that sense of a, a temple to trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess I just love the ambition of it and and the story of, of how it was built. You know, it's as, for someone who's an environmentalist, it's, it's perhaps bizarre that I've chosen what is probably <laughs> one of the least energy efficient <laughs> buildings you could conceive of. You know, it's, yes. it's metal and glass. <laughs> um, but I, I always get pleasure when I look at that building. Mm-hmm. It's a lovely building. It's, a, it's the predecessor to the skyscraper. So it is that, it's the first application of the technologies from the Crystal Palace in a commercial building in the world. So it's a it's really important from that point of view, and it's also on kind of Jamaica Street, Union Street access. Um, it's a rare survivor because we used to have dozens of them down that street, and there are hardly any left now. And one of them's on very sadly is on the Buildings at Risk Register just around the corner, um, where Tower Records used to be, um, which is by the same design team. Um, which is a great shame because it is, that's a cracking wee building as well. And of course, there's still the, the Cadoro, the House of Gold, up on the corner, which, love is, the which, is, which is fabulous. But there were more. So where that car park is kind of directly opposite um, Gardner's Warehouse, there was a whole series of them there. And I think they were taken out in a fire in 1988. So Henry Russell Hitchcock, um, who's kind of the great American architectural historian of the 20th century, he regarded Glasgow's collection of cast iron warehouses as up amongst the best in the world, an equivalent of New York and Chicago. And we've really lost so many of them, and they're actually really important. So it's, it's fantastic that Gardner's Warehouse still survives and is in fantastic shape as well. Yeah, really it looks to building. be in great shape. And I've actually never been inside it. <laughs> Have you not? Oh, you, I've should, not. you should go. I mean, so uh, I mean, there's a there's a business which I don't need to yes, name. I, I, um, I was just I hesitated there. Um, so it I know, is possible to mean. go in. It, it still has its original lift inside it as well, which is it's one of the first Otis lifts, I think, in Europe. Um, so it's it's really important from from that point of view as, as well. So that's why I went inside it. <laughs> I don't think I ever... It used to be Martin and Frost's um, furniture shop, but I don't think I ever went in then. So there you go. But great building, very good choice. And thank you very much, Emily. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. And it's I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. <laughs> I certainly have. Thanks so much, Neil. No, thanks for sharing all your images. It's really, it's really very fascinating. And it's, yeah, it was quite poignant look back in time um, to some of the things that, that 
that we've lost, which are actually really special when you look at them now. Yeah. It's much appreciated. Glasgow City Heritage Trust is an independent charity and grant funder that promotes the understanding, appreciation and conservation of Glasgow's historic built environment. Do you want to know more? Have a look at our website at glasgowheritage.org.uk and follow us on social media at Glasgow Heritage. This podcast was produced by Inner Ear for Glasgow City Heritage Trust. The podcast is kindly sponsored by the National Trust for Scotland and supported by Tunnocks.